I'm Matt Hagman, and this is Opportunity Miami, a podcast about people and ideas shaping Miami's economic future. How can augmented reality, or the metaverse, shape the future of work and education? Peggy Johnson, CEO of Magic Leap, explained AR's true potential when it comes to how we interact with technology. Johnson joined Magic Leap in the summer of 2020 as CEO after many years in leading executive roles at both Qualcomm and Microsoft. She's among the leading female executives in tech today. And under her leadership at Magic Leap, the company recently launched Magic Leap 2, its latest augmented reality headset. Johnson spoke at our second Opportunity Miami Live event with the Academic Leaders Council, which is a group of all six presidents of our colleges and universities across Greater Miami, along with the superintendent of Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Here is the conversation we had with her. But let's start with the very basics. You know, as we think, think about Magic Leap and augmented reality, if someone were to say, what is it? Where do you start? Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to see all of you. You know, it gets mixed up in this word called the metaverse, too. So you've probably heard a bit about the metaverse. We had a very big company called Facebook change their name to Meta. It it's really sort of encompasses all of the things in what they call mixed realities. Uh, and I'll go through them for you. But in its very simplest form, the metaverse is when your digital world and your physical world start to mix together. And in some ways, it's here already. Um, I always tell the example, if you're trying to navigate to a building, you're walking around a big city, when you're looking at your phone and it's showing you a digital line how to get there, that's, a, that's an example of the metaverse. Your digital world and your physical world are mixing. Then there came something called virtual reality, and virtual reality is when you put a device on your eyes and you're fully inside of another world. And so you can see digital content around you. Um, it, a lot of times it's used in entertainment and in gaming, so Oculus, Quest, these words, uh, these devices from Facebook and others, the HTC Vive, those are examples of virtual reality but you're actually fully occluded. You put that on and you are in, in a different, uh, different world and you generally are stationary because you don't want to trip over your coffee table because you can't see your, your physical world. And then augmented reality is when you put a device on your eyes uh, and you'll get a chance to try it back there and you still see your physical world, but we put digital content into your physical world. And that can range, there's some devices that um, it's more of a heads up display. So you see digital content up, up above your field of view. Um, we are actually fully immersive. So that content, um, we know the, the boundaries of the room that you're in. We know that there's tables here and I can actually put content on that table and on that table and something way back in the corner. And it just lives there. You, when the glasses are on, you see your physical world, but you see that content. So I hope that explains a little bit yeah. because it is, there's a lot of buzzy words out there right now, but that's what augmented reality is and that is what Magic Leap makes. And talk a little bit about Magic Leap's journey today. A pioneer in the space, started with a consumer focus, 
and then you came on in 2020 yeah. and now and have, are taking a different course and just and for context it was about four weeks ago five weeks ago that you released magically too correct yeah yeah so the company has been around in south florida south florida based company and plantation um, since about 2010 and the founder was an amazing visionary named Roni Abovitz. And he had this idea that we could make an, he and the team could make an optical device that tricked your eyes into thinking that digital content was sitting in your physical world. And the first machine, we still have it at, at our facilities in Plantation. It's an old Motorola cell phone factory. And it's big, you know, it, it looks, it's massive. And, um, but it was, it placed that digital content in your field of view. And then over time, they made it smaller, but their original focus was mad. It was, it was consumer. And in some ways it was easier to show people a consumer application because they got it right away. Some of you may have seen, they, they, uh, they, they filmed in a gym and they showed a whale coming out of the floor of the gym. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the iconic uh, example that they showed. Um, they, they ended up making a fabulous product in Magic Leap One. It actually did that. It put digital content in your physical world. The problem with it is it was a little early. Um, they, it was sold alongside other mobile phones in an AT&T store to consumers but it was large, um, there wasn't a ton of content for it, and it cost quite a bit. <laughs> and the mobile phone sitting next to it could do a lot more. And so it was a little bit of an early days. The, the tech was great, but the ecosystem around it wasn't there. So along comes 2020, um, and uh, the company had already made the decision, we should probably focus just on enterprise, because businesses were buying it and building applications for their own companies and using it in their companies. And when I came in, the, the entire pivot then happened. The next generation product was built with enterprise in mind. And with that, I mean, generally businesses, if they're gonna use it in a solution, they wanna wear it all day long, so it couldn't, couldn't hurt your nose after a while and it couldn't make your head hot and a lot of things that can happen with devices that are a little bit big and electronic. Um, but I think it's very similar to the early days of the mobile phone. Back then the phone was big and it was expensive, but there was a return on that investment if you were, say, a, uh, a salesperson and you had to check in with your office throughout the day and you used to have to you know, park and find a phone booth and make a phone call, so I'm really dating myself now, <laughs> but that's what you used to have to do. And uh, then you could just make a phone call from your car. So it, there was a return on investment for businesses to buy mobile phones then. That's the stage that we're at right now with augmented reality. There's a lot of solutions that can be built right now in the enterprise space. And we've made the device smaller and lighter, but it probably still isn't something you'll see people walking the streets. You'll, you'll see it in, in just a minute. Um, but eventually we will get back there and come back to a, what I believe will have to be a glasses format, a very lightweight and the electronics will just be integrated right into the glasses. And that's coming, but um, to get the fully immersive effect, we're gonna need more 
integration of parts and silicon in the device, but it will be here. And I guess if there's sort of one takeaway for all of us to, as we leave here today, when we leave here today to take with us is, is the contention is this will be a ubiquitous part of daily life for each one of us eventually, like the, like the cell phone. Exactly. And I think, I always like to think of it, you know, sort of pre-Google search and post-Google search. You know, pre-Google search, you went and looked at encyclopedias and, you know, you had the A, B, Z, B, C book. And with my big family, they always got out of order and, like, there wouldn't be the, the D book <laughs> when you needed to look up something that began with D. But anyway, all that went away with Google search and then other search engines now. And you almost think, wow, what did we do before then? Or even what did we do before mobile phones? You know, how, would, how did you ever meet up with people at a concert before mobile phones? You know, you had to be very specific. Yeah. And, and so that is the course and the trajectory that this technology is on. At some point, I think people will look back and say, remember when we didn't augment our, our view? And why I say that is because now you're doing it now with mobile phones. Everybody's augmenting your physical world with what you're learning from that little screen. But when you think about it, you're looking down, your hands aren't free. What I'm talking about is that same power being now on your eyes and your hands are free. So you could be walking along and um, get notified. You've got a few emails. Um, you want to call someone here. Um, where am I trying to go? Oh, a digital line will just be drawn right in front of your eyes to the building you're going to. It won't take the place of your physical world, but it will be a tool to augment your physical world. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about now with Magic Leap, sort of the here and now for the moment, yes. and with Magic Leap 2, um, what are the use cases right now? How do you see people using this? And obviously, initially, this is an enterprise, not a consumer. Yeah, so, and, and really just a small part of the enterprise right now, any, any company that's involved with sort of 3D visualization of something, um, so CAD companies and drawing companies, uh, any company doing any sort of in-depth training, those are the early use cases. Um, so a couple examples of that, we have um, a manufacturing facility in the Midwest who used it to shorten the time it took to bring a factory worker up and online and having the ability to put them right out onto the factory floor. It used to take them three weeks. It was an in-classroom sort of um, education. You know, there was manuals, there was overhead projector, there were things that augmented the, the in-classroom experience. Now with Magic Leap, it takes them three days because you can literally put the, um, the new worker, put them, uh, Put, outfit them with the headset, put them out on the factory floor, and they can walk up to the machinery that they're meant to repair or maintain. And there's what's called a digital twin can overlay that machinery. So it, if it's a big piece of you know complex machinery and it's gone offline and they have to get it fixed very quickly, that digital twin will show you, it's, it's a piece of overlay content that says, start here, what does this, pressure readings say, oh, if it's too high, come over here and turn turn this lever until it comes becomes lower. And all of that, the employee can be walked through. They don't have to go back and find the manual and remember what was and I was supposed to do, what was step one, what was step two. It's just all immersed in their world. And it's interesting because we've heard from these new factory workers, one, it makes a factory job kind of cool again, and that's needed because <laughs> yeah. we have 
so many factory workers that are retiring and we're not refilling the pipe as quickly as, as we would like. So there's a real labor shortage there. But the other thing is it tends to empower the, the worker much earlier and they feel better. I mean, think about it. If you were trained on something six months ago and now the device has gone down and every minute counts, you know, and you're like, okay, wait, where's my manual? I've got to go back to the, get the manual and bring it over. Now you put the device, the Magic Leap device on, you walk up to the machine and it walks you through the steps to do. It's quick, it's easy, there's, there's a metric that they used in, that they use in factories called time to resolution. And that, that time to resolution has decreased a, a whole lot now with the Magic Leap device. But another interesting one is what's going on in the healthcare space. It can be used for pre-surgical planning. And, and this was done at um, UC Davis in California. There was a, um, they were, they were conjoined uh, twins and they were doing a separation. They were conjoined at the brain. And they mapped, they did a 3D map of the brain. And with the device, you put it on and they had the brain in front of all of the people who would be uh, working on that day. It was a 30-person surgical team to do the, the separation. And it was during COVID, and so they weren't all present. And some of them, you know, were not able to be in the room. Some experts were flying in. It was a big production, as you might imagine. And for months, they trained with the Magic Leap device. And they could all see the same image of those twins' brains. They could spin it around. They mapped the surgical pathways. Um, they did. They did orange and, and uh, purple teams because after the separation, you're on one team or the other to take care of the twins, and they had it all done up digitally in front of the um, the healthcare workers' eyes, and it was a successful surgery. So that's a That's one example. There's there's others. There's a company that does uh, cardiac catheterization. So when you have to thread a catheter through a heart. Um, the surgeon can do that and they're watching a, a screen in front of them, a 2D screen, a PC or some, some uh, screen in the operating room. And when you think about it, as they're threading that catheter, you're kind of making your brain do the work. They, they see the heart there, it's been imaged, they see the heart. And um, the company that's been working on this have actually done an image of the live heart, but it's on a 2D screen. And so your, your mind has to think, okay, around corners and things like that, and you're, you're, trying to, you're making it go from 2D to 3D. They put that same application on Magic Leap, and now the beating heart is in front of the surgeon's eyes. The live beating heart is imaged in front of the surgeon's eyes, and the catheterization is safer, and they're, they're better able to navigate it, and it's just better outcomes for the patient. So, I do think at some point we'll look back and say, remember when you know, we used to get surgeries without augmentation, you know, now the surgeon can do a knee surgery and there's the incision with a digital line right in front of the actual physical wow. patient. So for, so for all of us here, we couldn't go buy Magic Leap 2 right now if we wanted to. Instead, it's you know, companies that you're selling to through different channels. Yeah, is that right? it, it is available for sale, but we sell into the enterprise channel. And what that means is probably most of you have a PC that your organization has given you. Um, that channel is the one, they're distributors. They load all the software that your company or your academic facility wants to have on the device. That's how our device is sold right now. Got it. So you buy it from a distributor who puts whatever software your employer that wants you need. on it. Yeah. 
So for so many of us, we're now seeing all these ads that you alluded to this earlier, that Facebook now Meta is running, betting the whole company on this future. Uh, Apple is gonna be coming out with a device, Microsoft. How do we, with all of these different things that Magic Leap was so ahead, but now we're seeing these, you know, these different products and different efforts, how should we think about this? Um, and sort of, and does Magic Leap have a specific lane within this growing ecosystem? Process? Yeah, that's a great question because I get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Magic Leap used to be, yeah, they were standing alone in this field for a long, long time, since 2010. Um, and since then, and I have to admit that Facebook announcement was really good for us because it gave us tailwinds. Sure. You know, a big company saying, we're putting $10 billion a year into the mixed reality space, that was really good for us. It brought us a lot of good attention and good visibility. And so the competition is healthy for us because it, it helps us grow the ecosystem, you know, the software folks who need to write the content for these devices, that's all goodness for us. But largely the companies that you name, with the exception of Microsoft, have been focused on consumer. Mm. And I still believe and contend that Consumer is a ways off. Um, I, I think the ability to get to a glasses format is probably still several years out. And, and it's why I think uh, Meta, previously known as Facebook, just announced the Quest Pro device, which is focused on enterprise. It, it kind of validates what we've been saying. That's the entry point. Because enterprise will buy the device because it solves a problem they're having. You can get a return on your investment. And then eventually they'll circle back to consumer too. So are, is there going to ultimately be a name for this? And we've heard, you know, it's mixed reality, it's augmented reality, it's the metaverse. Is ultimately sort of, are we going to find our way to have a specific name for this or, or time will tell? I think a little bit time will tell because every one of those companies that you mentioned has a different way of talking about it. Yes. And they all have their word. I will say very different from the internet, uh, which which kind of was developed, uh, it, it, pieces of it were developed by a lot of different companies and the protocols didn't, didn't quite settle and people have different, um, different capabilities on different parts of the internet. Because this is an emerging technology that so many companies are focused on right now, there is a growing standard out there of how you display digital content in these worlds. That means, we hope, eventually, um, Facebook content can just plop down onto a Magic Leap device and Microsoft content can just run on an Apple device. I mean, that's the hope that we have for this new medium, this new form of internet, really, that because we're all working on it together, that these standards are being looked at now. And by the way, that, that extends to privacy, too because the internet was the wild west for the longest time because it really wasn't built with privacy in mind from the beginning. We had to retrofit it in. But this technology, we're thinking about that from day one because when you think about these devices, and you'll see it back there, we have five forward-facing cameras that look around and, and image your world, and we have four cameras looking at your eyes because we need to know where your eyes are looking so we can place the content appropriately. So that's nine sensors. We have actually a total of 30-some sensors on this. There's audio sensors. Um, there's it's literally brimming with sensors. 
very different from a mobile phone, just has a whole lot more than a mobile phone. And so you really have to be extra careful that any data that it's collecting is kept and owned by the user or the company and is not offloaded uh, erroneously or somehow, you know, people learn something about you because there's four sensors looking on your eyes and we can tell who you are. So you have to be very, very careful with this medium. And, uh, but the good thing is that sensibility is there and it's the beginning stages and it's getting built in rather than being retrofitted. So just to be clear, we sort of alluded to this, but the, the, the thesis is that ultimately it will replace the phone. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and, and what form exactly, it's hard to say. It could be that we still carry phones, but it doesn't have a screen anymore. So maybe it's only this big. It's like a quarter in your pocket. And it's connecting to some lightweight glasses. I mean, these are the things we're envisioning. Or it could be that everything's built into the glasses. There'll probably be several iterations of it, but um, I've always contended that the phone eventually will go away because you don't have use of your hands when you're, when you're mm. on the phone. Think of it now. If you had to put these glasses on and you walked into this room and there was someone back there who you'd met three years ago and you can't remember their name, but as you're approaching, the camera looks at it, spins through your contact list and says, that's Joe Smith. You met them at this conference three years ago. It can tell you that in your ear, you know, because we have audio as wow. well. So, I mean, I would like that <laughs> because <laughs> I can never remember where I met someone and particularly their name. I, I, the faces I usually remember. But that's the sort of augmentation that we can give people. And that's easier than quickly saying, I remember his name was Joe, and then looking up, trying to look up quickly in your contacts, like now your focus is down. This technology does give you a heads up view of your world again. We're back in the physical world, mm. and it's the content that you use and, and rely on is just embedded in that physical world. Now to live in this future a bit more, are, is this a future where every one of us is us gathered here at lunch, you're all wearing glasses, or is this something that ultimately a contact lens on the eye? That's exactly where it's going. There's already three or four companies um, in the space that are making augmented reality contact lenses. Now, they're very, very early, um, but they do have the ability now uh, to, the, um, they can do kind of like a heads up display, which is a lightweight version where there's just a little bit of content in your field of view, but you're viewing it from a contact lens. It's it's kind of amazing. It's very sci-fi, but it's coming. I mean, it's you know, it'll all everything will get smaller and lighter and more uh, compute power packed into it, and eventually it'll be a contact lens. I know this is crystal ball, and it's always hard to to um, sort of uh, the pace of innovation uh, can range. But what are we talking about? Is this something that you know, I alluded earlier at talking about the Miami 2040 when the, the child today is ready to enter the workforce? By by that time, is this? Do you imagine all the what we're talking about will be a part of all of our daily lives? I, you know, it's going to be out there a ways. The contact thing, sort of the ubiquitous augmentation, it's probably a decade off. And I and I think even consumer in this space is probably five years off. But again, that's, it's just all dependent on how quickly the componentry can, um, can get into a single chip. So my old company was Qualcomm, and that, they're the, the chip that's in almost everybody's mobile phone here. 
it was, you know, mobile phones were big because all of the little parts were a, another chip. Yeah. <laughs> Over time, they integrated all of those chips into a single ASIC, they called it, a system on a chip, a single chip. There's some other chips around it, but largely it's just one big chip <laughs> inside your phone now. And it used to be about, I think it was 600 parts at one time inside a mobile phone, which is why they were big. Um, but now they're small, and that's where we're going with this technology too. So uh, one of the interesting things about Magic Leap is, is that you manufacture the device here in South Florida. This is not Crazy. at like Foxconn yes. in, in China. <laughs> this is uh, here in South Florida. Um, and you've talked about how an opportunity that is in front of us here in South Florida is to being a hub for augmented reality. Talk yeah, so just a bit about that factory because if, if you didn't know it, it is amazing that there is a factory in South Florida that does this highly complex feat of magic really because on one end of the factory, is glass substrate, you know, a big chunk of glass comes in, and on the other end, these highly specific optical lenses come out. Um, the device back there actually has pancake lenses. You, you put several lenses together that do all sorts of different things, and we have 32 of those lenses that are packed into a very, very small end shape. So at the other end of that factory, those lenses come out. and. You know, we, the other thing about it, because I have to brag a little bit about that team there, either in a factory you have something called a yield rate. It's like if you, if a piece of product comes in the, the one end and, you know, how many come out the other end? And our yield rate is super high. It's 92%. It's super high. And, and I know why that is a meaningful number because years ago at Qualcomm we used to make mobile phones. And you know, on a on a good day, it would be about fifty percent. <laughs> you know, we just it was hard, and we were making them in La Jolla, California, wow. mobile phones in La Jolla, California. They do a fantastic job here with a super high yield rate. So I guess the point being, it's a top class factory that we have right here in South Florida. But the opportunity you alluded to is this is the beginning of a new medium. And there's a lot of money flowing into the space from a lot of big tech companies. Right here, right now, we can make South Florida a center for mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality. We need content builders. Um, we, need, we need more people to work on the next generation products too. So we have hardware and software engineers there. Um, but that ecosystem I was telling you about, we need more content developers who can develop the solutions that will come to life when you put the device on your head. And it, you know, it's a, it's a developer that looks a little bit like a gaming developer because gamers make very good 3D images. Now they're displayed on a 2D screen unless you have an, an Oculus from Facebook. But they're, it's that same sort of thing. They need a little bit of creativity and a little bit of software prowess. And those things together make a great augmented reality developer. And I think that's the opportunity here for South Florida. We have great educational institutions here and steering the, you know, some kids this direction. I can tell you there is a demand. Um, the other day someone said, you know, with all the layoffs in the tech industry, you, you guys must be doing great because we always have a long list of open recs for, you know, optics engineers and AR uh, 
people who don't AI and VR. And it's like, no, they're laying off in other areas of their company, not in AR, VR. That is more competitive than ever. So what, what do we have here? We have a fantastic environment in South Florida. We have fantastic weather. It's a great business environment. So these yep. are all the things that when they're saying, do I want to you know, live in another area of the country and work for company X or here, we have a lot to offer right here. And so that's that I think is the opportunity. Coming from a job at Microsoft where I reported to the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, I ran BizDev for Microsoft. And it was during COVID, and I kind of just had this aha moment that said, I've always wanted to be a CEO. I just saw that there's an opportunity of Magic Leap in an area I love, and I've always loved augmented reality, going back to my Qualcomm days. I'm going to take that job. Do you know how many people called me up and said, are you crazy? Yeah, like, are you crazy? You have the best job in the industry. You're running BizDev for Microsoft. Yeah. And I'm like, I, absolutely not. I want to... I want to be a CEO. You know, there's so few female CEOs too. It, it was it was very meaningful for me that I showed my daughter that women first could be CEOs and you could be CEO in a tech field. You know, right? very personal, and so I did it, and and, and so there was that that element of of the whole thing. Um, I mean, the other part about it is I was an outsider when I came into that team. However, it was a team looking for where do we go next? Because if you think about it, the, the CEO had already stepped down at that time. The company was being run by the board. Um, they, they'd had a big layoff and they were spinning. And I knew the first thing wasn't go fix the product. It was go fix the people. Like they are traumatized. So I went in and I, for the first 30 days, I just listened, tried to understand where everybody was at. Clearly when you cut that quickly, it can lead to like kind of what Twitter's going through, I think, like, oops, we cut the wrong people, <laughs> we needed them. And so there was a little bit of that and we had to backfill a little bit. Um, but that the first thing was, uh, you know, build a, a strong foundational culture that then we could sort of rise from the ashes after that. Number one, it's amazing to spend time to think about um, an emerging technology that, as you were saying, will ultimately mm -hmm. become a part of all of our daily lives. And to sit here at the very early stages of that and talking about that has been just, it's to hear this from you uh, has just been remarkable. Um, but even Beyond that, I think what's been so remarkable is to be able to talk with you and to get to know you better and how exciting it is to have you here in South Florida leading, leading Magic Leap. So, Peggy, thank you very much. Let's give it a hand. Opportunity Miami is powered by the Miami-Dade Beacon Council. Thank you to our editorial manager, Suzette LaBoy. As always, you can reach us at next at opportunity.miami. We'd love to hear your thoughts, story ideas, people, trends, things that we should be highlighting in our community as it relates to our economic future. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Hope to see you soon. Thanks.